16 women's names were written on a hotel register in Springfield, Ohio, in September 1879, but none of these names was their own. The list of assumed names rolls down the page under the large heading, Female Baseball Club, Game at 2.30 this p.m. Eight women on the register are listed as playing for the Red Stockings of New York. And they were going up against the following eight women on the list who were playing for the Blue Stockings of Philadelphia. These women were blazing a new trail for women to play sports in public. They were banking on the huge entertainment value of baseball. They were traveling all over the United States along the country's growing railroad network. They were using the emerging mass media market of newspapers to advertise their tours, and they were earning more money than they'd ever had before. But these women were also preyed upon and cheated. And the person who likely wrote their names in that hotel register was a criminal. Hello, welcome to the Found in Philadelphia podcast, a podcast dedicated to telling the stories of Philadelphia's past so that we can better understand the present because our history matters. I'm your host, Lori Almond. With each episode, I hope that you'll learn something new, see things a little differently, and be inspired to go discover some of this history for yourself right here in the city of brotherly love. I'm experimenting with a new format, a mini episode where I'll take you down a small rabbit hole of Philly history. The idea is that these mini episodes would fill in the gaps while I'm working on the longer, more in-depth episodes. In this one, we're gonna take a look at women playing baseball in public in the decades following the Civil War and its ties to Philadelphia. Take a listen and let me know what you think. I was introduced to the story of Victorian women playing baseball through an image of this hotel register from the St. James Hotel in Springfield, Ohio, dated September 1st, 1879. The yellowed page from the hotel register shows that every opportunity was used to advertise the female baseball club and their afternoon exhibition game, the Red Stockings of New York against the Blue Stockings of Philadelphia. The women are listed as the eminently respectable Miss M. Stacy Catcher, Miss M. Addison, first base, Miss T. Sheldon, pitcher, and so on. But all of these were stage names. None of the women played under their real names. And this 144-year-old hotel register was up for sale at Swan Auction Galleries in New York, and it came with a description of that game in Springfield in September of 1879 from the Springfield Republic Times. On that September afternoon in 1879, the female baseball players were paraded around Springfield in horse-drawn omnibuses to drum up ticket sales. They headed to the baseball diamond on the fairgrounds where the thirsty crowd of a thousand men could purchase beer for sale. Then the games began. The women players were dressed in a uniform of, quote, tight-fitting bodice, a pair of short pantaloons, a kilt skirt, high-cut shoes, and striped stockings, not to forget the jaunty little caps. And they put on a good show. They'd play up the antics of male baseball players, but with a feminine flair. They'd kick at the empires in their short skirts. They'd catch balls with their skirts, too. They'd stop in between bases to fix their hair, and they'd form bucket brigades to bring the balls back from the outfield. 
The reporter for the Springfield Republic Times was not amused. He called the female baseball players a, quote, party of abandoned creatures. And he didn't spare the crowd either, which he called a bunch of, quote, reprobates, who would be ashamed to let their wives and grown-up children know where they are. During the game, the audience crowded around behind home plate and along the foul lines, and the game ended with the baseball team's manager beating a young Black man named Ben Hayes with a board. Hayes was reportedly okay, but the white manager escaped arrest when a mob came to his rescue. And then the manager had to skip town pretty quickly. A few days later, the Philadelphia Inquirer noted that the female baseball club had arrived penniless in Pittsburgh after their manager pocketed the proceeds from that Springfield, Ohio game and abandoned them when he quit town. The women players only had train tickets for as far as Columbus, Ohio. From there, they walked hundreds of miles, eventually getting help from local politicians and charities to pay for train tickets back home. It would be easy to discount this sordid little story as having nothing to do with baseball and women athletes. Not really. But the red stockings of New York and the blue stockings of Philadelphia were experiencing things that would have been familiar to male baseball players of their time, as well as to the future women players that would come after them. These women deserve a spot in baseball's history and the history of women in sport. And I wanna lay out three reasons why. First, these women understood baseball as a form of entertainment, plagued by bad management. Second, these women reflected who was really playing baseball at the time, and they felt the full force of organized baseball's fight against that reality. And third, these women knew firsthand how vulnerable women are in sport. First up, let's talk about baseball as entertainment. The red stockings and blue stockings were putting on an outdoor burlesque performance. They were playing at baseball. But the boundary between baseball as entertainment, put on by shady management, and true professional baseball was not a hard line. It was more of a continuum. As historian Deborah Shattuck writes in her book, Bloomer Girls, Women Baseball Pioneers, men's baseball in the 1870s also had a strong stink of the circus. As early as the 1860s, men who managed touring troops of blackface minstrels were also dabbling in baseball as entertainment. This included the managers of teams like Philadelphia's Athletic Baseball Club in the 1860s. They'd play exhibition games on tour where they'd ride to the streets on omnibuses, decorate the playing field with colorful flags, entertain the fans with music and food, and wear brightly colored uniforms. The male players tried to stand out with their own unique antics. They'd kick, steal bases, and generally test the rules of the game. Some players were viewed with contempt because playing for money at that time was seen as kind of sleazy, ripe for abuse. But the major difference between the men and the women baseball players doing these exhibition games in public was that the male players were valued for their athletic ability, while the women were not. But even legendary athletes like Philadelphia's Edith Houghton experienced shocking mismanagement over 50 years after that game between the red and blue stockings in 1879. Playing women's baseball as an athlete didn't protect you from shabby treatment. Houghton played in the Bloomer Girls Leagues of the 1920s and 30s, and then went on to be the first female scout for the Phillies in the 1940s. 
she experienced a similar fate as the Philadelphia Blue Stockings when she traveled to Japan with the Philadelphia Bobbies in the fall of 1925. The Bobbies were a women's baseball team named after the player's bobbed hair. But the Bobbies found themselves in financial trouble when their sponsor backed out and refused to pay for the players to get home from Kobe, Japan. So just like the blue stockings before them, the Bobbies had to rely on charity and goodwill to get themselves back home. Even today, let's face it, there's a strong sense that athletes are there to entertain us. The backlash against Colin Kaepernick and taking a knee was partly about players being perceived as stepping out of their lane. We want them to be almost literally players on a stage, amusing us, not activists with an agenda. The story of the Red Stockings of New York and the Blue Stockings of Philadelphia is so dramatic that it almost overshadows the fact that lots of women were playing baseball in the 19th century. They were playing a lot of baseball, actually. Most of the well-documented early women's baseball teams were middle and upper-class white women playing at college. But it was really working-class women who were playing the most baseball in the 19th century. We just don't have very good records of it. Girls played ball games on the streets and empty lots in their neighborhoods. They played at public school. But baseball wasn't just for girls. In the 15 years following the Civil War, the United States also had more than 50 civic and pickup clubs for amateur women baseball players. Often these teams were organized by large employers like Fleischer Yarn. These women didn't play for money, and they often played away from prying eyes. And these types of amateur baseball games didn't pose any threat to men's professional baseball, which was just getting itself organized in these years. But the burlesque style female baseball games were seen as competition. The women troops continued to perform baseball through the 1880s, including at least one reported game of black female players from Philadelphia gathering to play in Chester in 1883. And these women were bringing in crowds of thousands when they weren't going under or losing money because of bad weather. Since the vast majority of baseball fans were from the working class, they couldn't afford to attend every game. So every 25-cent ticket sold to attend a female baseball game was seen as money lost for men's baseball. So the very loosely organized men's baseball management began to push back. They portrayed female baseball players as treading on sacred masculine ground. Women playing baseball was unfeminine and immoral. In the years following the Civil War, women were out in public like never before, demanding equal pay, access to higher education, and the right to vote. Playing baseball was lumped in with all sorts of things that true women weren't supposed to do because it would lead to the downfall of society. But women playing baseball was just one corruption of the game. Organized baseball in the 1880s was redefining what they wanted the game to look like. They were rebranding baseball as America's favorite pastime. So they wanted baseball to look like their version of America, respectable, white, Protestant, and male only. But the reality was that a lot of people were playing baseball who didn't fit this model. Organized baseball saw the game as being under attack on all sides. Over here, it was being undermined by these burlesque female baseball clubs. Over there were those boozy exhibition-style baseball games played by men. And then you had Black and Chinese baseball players who had to be shut out too during these years, forcing them to make up their own ball clubs, like the Keystone Athletics and the Orions of Philadelphia. 
So the traveling female baseball clubs like the Blue Stockings of Philadelphia were the target of scathing reviews in the sports press. But women continued to play baseball in amateur leagues and clubs. And by the 1890s, it was becoming mainstream for women to be seen as athletic, engaging in all sorts of activities. This generation of women who had been playing baseball their whole lives under the radar now formed competitive female baseball leagues as athletes in the 1890s. They were often confused with the burlesque baseball players who were still around. But this new generation of female baseball players would inspire the women who played in the competitive Bloomer Girl baseball teams that came later. While men's organized baseball was busy fighting against the burlesque baseball players, women continued to play in amateur games, getting better and better until they were ready to play as competitive professional athletes in the early 20th century. Now we need to talk about how vulnerable these women were and still remain in sport. The women who performed for the Philadelphia Blue Stockings in 1879 were preyed upon by the management and everyone knew it. The Red and Blue Stockings started their tour with one manager who refused to pay them unless they acted as companions in his pop-up drinking establishments in the evenings after the games. He kept them short of cash so they couldn't leave, and then he literally jumped off the train with the team's profits in Massachusetts, abandoning them halfway through their tour. But a new manager came to their rescue and kept them going until he signed them into that hotel register before their final game in Springfield, Ohio. During the rest of their tour, the women were continually threatened by beery crowds who leered at them and lay down on the field between bases. Men who verbally abused them surged onto the field and sometimes threw stones at them. But behind the scenes, it's likely that their new manager was Sylvester Wilson, a serial female baseball club manager and a criminal. Wilson was well-known to the police in several cities, and he was also a sexual predator with a preference for teenage girls, the very demographic who made up his female baseball teams. He'd been organizing outdoor female baseball entertainments since coming up with the scheme during Philadelphia's 1876 Centennial Exhibition. Though this initial effort failed, he did manage to pull together a few games in New York in May 1879 before being arrested by the New York Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children for having sexual relations with two of his players, who were minors. But he was out of jail by the end of the month because of lack of evidence, just in time to help out the struggling blue stockings of Philadelphia. Wilson would continue to organize female baseball exhibitions for 15 years before dying in prison on a conviction of corrupting a minor. One of the women who would eventually testify against him was Philly-born Annie Long, who played ball under the stage name Lottie Livingston. She joined Wilson's Young Ladies Baseball Club in Philadelphia in 1889 at the age of 15. She traveled with the team until she became pregnant with Wilson's child and returned home to her parents a year later. This story exposes the poor options available for young women growing up in poverty at the end of the 19th century. If a family was in dire straits, they might be relieved to allow their daughter to join Wilson's troop, where at least she'd be given food, clothes, a job, and a place to stay. They were often promised wages that were higher than anything they could earn at a factory or working as a servant. And if a girl had dreams of traveling and adventure, the female baseball clubs offered something out of the ordinary. Many of the women considered sexual favors as something to be expected. 
just another part of the job. We don't have to look very far to see the abuse that women athletes continue to experience today. Even our most visible athletes like gymnasts and soccer players who are representing our country in the Olympics. We continue to fail to protect women in sport. Baseball was everywhere in the 19th century. Philadelphia newspapers from the 1880s to the 1900s had densely packed pages of baseball scores. They would take up a full page of the newspaper with tiny print. They covered teams that played in the big city leagues, like the National League, the American Association, or the Players League, to name just a few. Then they also reported the scores of the small town leagues with teams from Reading and Allentown. And then there were church leagues and factory leagues. Eventually, you also started to see short notices of Bloomer Girl games too. Though the white papers didn't include scores from the black baseball games that were being played as well. And the papers didn't cover traveling teams like the Chinese-born Celestials, who played baseball throughout the country in the 1880s. Baseball was America's pastime in the 19th century, not because it was the sacred realm of white men, but because everyone was playing it. Thank you for listening to the Found in Philadelphia podcast. I want to send a special thanks to Dan Burstein for sending me the historical tidbit that got me interested in this story. If you want to take a deep dive into the history of women in baseball, I highly recommend Deborah Shaddock's Bloomer Girls, Women Baseball Pioneers. This podcast was researched, written, hosted, and recorded by me, Lori Almond. Cyril Tayandi is the audio engineer and leads the Community Recording Collective at Drexel University.